how do you handle when a board member suggests a person they know for an open position in your organization, especially if it's someone you're not sure is a good fit for what you're looking for and or the culture of the organization? How do you have that delicate conversation and navigate it? Oh, these delicate conversations. <laughs> There's a lot of them, aren't there, Andy? There are. Oh, that's. I think that is one of the biggest pain points for people dealing with their boards is these delicate conversations and that sort of power dynamic of the board being the governing body. But anyways, um, you know, I... The way I I look at this is obviously you want to thank your board member, right? Like, thank you so much because maybe it is a good, maybe the person is good. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're awful. But like, thank you so much. Um, We have this process that you may or may not know is in place. Like, we're accepting candidates. You know, we're accepting applications or resumes up until this date. Then the process closes. And then we're going to go through sort of our objective, neutral, fair, equitable process, like really emphasizing that, right? Like there's no, no one's getting favoritism because they know you as a board member. Like, I mean, you don't have to come out and say that, but like, you know, really sort of emphasizing we've got this fair, equitable process um, in place. And so, and we've got, you know, and if you're worried that this candidate isn't a good fit, I also think you could really sort of embellish that we've we've gotten this great response toward this you know opening so it's going to be a really tough decision but really appreciate you doing that and just have your candidate you know go through this channel and I mean I, I that's the way I would because guess what like board members have to realize and at the end of the day you as staff are the ones making this hire. I don't know if you're an executive director or someone else, a director level that's hiring someone, but guess what? It is your decision, not the board members. And so you can thank them and then tell them you have a process and send the candidate your way. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I, the board shouldn't be involved at that level. That's no, not their role. No, um, It's the executive director is the one person that they get to hire and they can have plenty of opinions on that. I think just as a practical matter, if someone, if a board member rec- recommends a person to be hired for a position at your organization, probably at least interview them. Uh, yeah. You know, just to get them, you know, like yeah. say, okay, maybe that's a free pass to the interview stage. Right. Right. Just, right. just so we can say, yeah, we talked to him because then you're kind of covering yourself because you're, I, I agree a hundred percent, go with the process, pick the best person for the job. If knowing that board member personally is like super critical, like Maybe, you know, I can think of a scenario where if depending on who the board member is and what that person's role is, maybe we want somebody that has a really great relationship with that board member. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's maybe that trumps all the other skills. So I don't know. I, I think, you know, you, you don't want to just like blow them off. No. Right. No. You want to say, awesome. Thanks for letting you know, because because you really do want to be able to sort of cast a wide net. You want to get people that wouldn't necessarily see the job posting somewhere. And if your board member is recommending people to your organization, that means that the board member is like probably cares about the organization. They're not going to like, if it's a dog, you know, and they watch you going down the toilet, they're not going to be like, Oh, my nephew's great. Right. right. (laughs) I hate that kid. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. I I think it's, I I would, I would consider that like, okay, sure. We'll interview him, you know? And then, and then, you know, I don't think if the board member has a problem after that, like, why didn't you hire him? Then absolutely. You've got paperwork. Like, well, we decided what we decided was, you know, and here's how we made the choice. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think you make a really good point. Cause I think in reality, the way most of the time I've seen this work is exactly what you said. It's sort of fast forwarded the process to the interview stage. I mean, I still, and, you know, I still am an advocate for, yes, like the person gets an interview because they have that board member contact, but the person still should be sending you their resume and the application and going through those mm-hmm. other steps, right? Like yep. it's even though you kind of know in your head, yeah, we're going to make sure we interview them because the board member recommended them, but they still need to go through the process everyone else does, right? Like they're yep. not immune to that. So, um, and I think, yeah, I think 
I, I don't hear too many board members that have issues with it. And if they do, guess what? Maybe they shouldn't be on your board. <laughs> That's a good point. I, mean, I think if, if I were applying for jobs and I knew somebody that was on the board, I would absolutely tell them I was applying. Like, hey, by the way, <laughs> I just wanted you to know I'm applying for this job. Of course. You know, and like you don't even have to like say, like, can you tell the ED? Because, you know, they will. Yeah. If they think you're good, they're going to tell the ED. If they don't, if they never liked you to begin with, then you probably shouldn't take that job anyway. <laughs> Nonprofit government. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. This is a production of the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. And the way this works is you send Stacy and Andy some questions and we try to answer them the best we can. And if we can't, we bring in a guest expert. Today, we've got a guest expert only because we got something wrong uh, last podcast episode. And we're happy that our listeners call in and say, hey, you didn't get it right. So we can bring someone on who can correct the record. So stick around. We would like to uh, invite you to become a member of the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. Uh, So go to the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits webpage, check out the cool member benefits they have there, and um, send us questions so that Stacy and I have something to talk about every couple of weeks. Welcome back, everybody. I'm happy to have a special guest expert today. April Mastraluca is with us here today. Um, we just very recently recorded a podcast question about advocacy and lobbying, and un- unsurprisingly, I got part of it wrong. So we're reaching out to April so that she can tell us um, the real rules and to give us some more resources about how we can talk about advocacy and lobbying. Welcome, April. Thank you so much, Andy. I appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity to share. Of course. So why don't you first start by telling us all about yourself? Um, So I've uh, been in Las Vegas since 1968, and I have been active in the community in various ways. And then um, in about 1999, I started traveling to D.C. to lobby with the PTA. Um, And then in 2001, I started traveling to Carson City to lobby at the state legislature um, and, and speak about advocacy and, and educate people about the importance of it. Um, I was hired by the National PTA, and one of the specialties that I taught chapters around the or, uh, units around the country was about advocacy and how to use it to their advantage and how to not be afraid of it. And that it, you know, it was something that you were allowed to do as a nonprofit. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to actually serve in the Nevada State Legislature from 2009 to 2012 as a a state assembly person, and also uh, chaired a couple of committees during that time. So I've been in and around advocacy for a lot. And uh, even now, in my current role as the executive director of the ALS Association Nevada chapter, I've continued to travel to D.C. generally twice a year um, to advocate for issues that are important to the constituents that our organization supports. That's fantastic. And it makes me happy that there are people like you in our community that have been on both sides of this and understand how it works from both angles so that you can give us the the real lowdown on what what's right, what's not right, and what nonprofits ought to be able to do. So thank you. No problem. So so start by telling me what I got wrong. Um, So you had made a comment regarding 
uh, nonprofits and you know lobbying and saying because I believe the question has something to do with uh, a nonprofit professional uh, speaking publicly on social media in support of the board chair who was running for uh, an elected position and you you said that you know people nonprofits can't do that and you're correct uh, nonprofits cannot um, openly as a 501c3 you cannot openly support any candidate on either side um, that doesn't mean that you can't be involved in that process and, and a lot of nonprofits will do candidate forms the important thing is to make sure that you invite everybody in that race so if you want to have a governor's can candidate forum every person whether they're democrat republican independent nonpartisan they all have to be invited they don't all have to attend but they have to be invited but then you also said that they can't um, lobby for or against an issue, which is not exactly correct. So the definition of advocacy is actually the process of supporting a cause or a proposal. Um, so advocacy is a really important part. And as a nonprofit, you tend to be seen as an expert in your space. So being able to talk to elected officials, whether it's at the city council, county commission, um, at the state legislature or in Washington, D.C. is important because you bring education and information to the table that the average person doesn't have. And you can also bring a lot more voices to the table, which is a huge benefit of being a 501c3. You have that constituency behind you. So there's, it's just a, a little bit of, of nuance of what you can and can't do. And I think that was the, the place where you kind of got hung up on you know, you, you kind of got excited about that. No, you can't do any of it, <laughs> but you, you can you can do it for and against an issue. And there's other rules around that that we can talk about. Yeah. And I thank you for being so polite. I appreciate that. <laughs> the, so so I think the where I was probably getting confused and hung up was if the legislature is talking about voting on a particular issue. Um, so it's already like the the bill draft resolutions out there. They've got a bill that they're going to vote on. What are the rules about nonprofits talking about legislators about, yes, I want you to vote on this rule. Like I want you to vote yes on this, or I want you to vote no on this. So there's two different kinds of, of lobbying um, or advocacy when it comes to an, an issue like you described. So the most common one is, is grassroots which is when you're urging the public, the, the people that, um, that support your organization, that know the work that your organization does, when you're urging them to communicate the organization's position um, to legislators uh, uh, and say why it's important. So for example, if there was a, a bill draft that said um, that you know, every person should be allowed to own a pony. I like that, by the way. I'm just trying to think of something generic that you're not going to get, you know, emails about. Um, but so, you know, if everyone, if, if there's legislation and you run the Nevada Pony Education Foundation and you want everyone to have a pony, you're going to contact your supporters, your constituents, whether it's through social media, emails, phone calls, and say, hey, bill number XYZ is up in, you know, either in the assembly or the, the Senate. And we need you to call your legislator to tell them why this bill is important and, you know, how it's going to make a difference for people in Nevada. That's grassroots lobbying. There's, you know, that's very common. It happens a lot, all the time. As a former legislator, I, you know, I received plenty of those calls and emails. Um, you had also mentioned earlier about the expenditure test, 501H. And 
I, re I recognize there's a couple things there because it, it, that insignificant piece um, has been in there since the 40s and it's never been defined. It probably never will be because nobody wants to touch it. But there are some rules around kind of how much you can spend based on your income as, a, as an organization. So really, you, you don't want to spend more than 25% of your 501H limit. Um, and I'll, I'll give you some resources that you can put in your show notes that people can, can dive deeper into that. Um, but for grassroots lobbying, you don't want to spend more than 25% of your limit. For direct lobbying, direct lobbying is when you're telling a legislator or their staff to support or oppose legislation. Um, so that is if you as, you know, uh, an employee of a nonprofit is going to Carson City or going to Washington, D.C. or, or even going to the, the county commission to say, to sit down with them and say, let me tell you why this is important to the people that I represent. That's direct lobbying. I recognize there's not a huge difference, but as far as the IRS is concerned, there is. You can spend up to 100% of your 501H limit on that after whatever's left from grassroots. So for example, if you are a half million dollar to a $1 million organization, you can spend up to $100,000 um, towards lobbying and you could spend 25,000 on grassroots and the rest of it on direct lobbying. And the, the, the key here, which is where a lot of nonprofits are able to kind of work within this, volunteer time doesn't count. So you don't have to, you don't have to assign a value to volunteer time and then include that in your numbers when it comes to this kind of calculation. So there's just, there's, definitely ways to do it and there's definitely benefits to doing it because like i said as a nonprofit, you really do have you really are considered the expert in your space and you can bring a lot to the table that's interesting and and the and i think the other difference too is um the things that are not lobbying so just educating when it doesn't have something to do with uh something that's before a legislative body if you're talking about something that you your nonprofit knows about like that doesn't count as lobbying at all so you don't need to really worry about whether or not that's being counted exactly and there's lots of opportunities especially at the at the state legislature to do that um, for example my organization is a it, you know that I work with currently is a health related nonprofit um, so not only could I make a request to the health committees for both the Senate and the Assembly to say, I would like to come the beginning, you know, early on in session and give a presentation, um, which could be accepted or denied. It's, it's up to the chair of the committee. But there's also the opportunity to do that in the interim, because the health committee is one of the few one of only I think two or three committees that meets much more often in the interim than most. So there's, there's really great opportunities to educate legislators and um, even taking advantage of the time leading up to election day. So for example, if you're looking at, you know, you're trying to find a champion for your cause, you know, we'll go back to the, to the pony cause, you're trying to find a champion for your cause and you, you know, you've been talking to people and you know that, you know, Susie Smith is a real big proponent of ponies. Even though she hasn't won yet, you want to start talking to her now because you don't know if she's going to win, not to mention, you know, she also may have the ear of someone else that does win. So maybe she 
is friends with someone who's running in another district and she can kind of pass the importance of that message on. So relationship building is key in advocacy and you never know where people are going to end up. So it can really take you a long way. That's fantastic. The good rule of thumb is to be nice to everybody, right? Yes, there are plenty of of people, both lobbyists and private citizens, that have alienated themselves with legislators um, because they don't they don't give people the respect that they've earned for the office that they have. Whether or not you agree with their politics doesn't matter. It's for anyone who's never run for office. It's a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of commitment. Whether you like their politics or not, they do deserve at least the respect of the office. Um, and sometimes people forget that. So you talked a little bit about state legislators. Is there anything you'd recommend for, for federal if you, if you wanted to, to get your issue in front of folks at the federal level? Absolutely. There's a couple different ways. One, never pass up the opportunity to speak to a um, federal official staff because they're the ones that are really going to carry the message. If you can get a meeting with um, a federal elected official, fantastic. Don't pass it up. But nine times out of 10, unless you already have a personal relationship, when you make an appointment to see them either in Washington, D.C. or at home in the district, you're probably going to meet with a staff member because, again, they're the expert and that's the person that that official is going to turn to um, for information. And the other benefit of that is becoming that, being seen as that expert in that area, in that space, can be so valuable. So, for example, there is a um, a, Nevada legis- a Nevada federal elected official that when their constituents call with an issue that's related to ALS, their staff calls us and says, how do we help this person? Can you help this person? Tell us what we need to do to help this person. So it really, it, it really is a two-way street. It's not just, you know, you trying to, to educate them, but they're also going to bring things back to you. And sometimes they'll even come back to you and say, hey, there's this legislation going around. We don't really know a lot about it. Can you look it over and talk to us? You know, that happens whether it's at the local level or at the federal level. So building those relationships is really key. Yeah, that's a great position to be in too, is when when something that comes up, something comes up that could affect you, that that they're reaching out to your organization who does have the, the expertise and in, in why it is like it is and what needs to change. That's a fantastic position to be in. You know, it's all about storytelling, you know, just, just like you would do in, in a fundraising role. Um, it, it's all about storytelling. And, and there have been times where, you know, with ALS, we have taken, you know, people that we serve up to, up to um, Washington, D.C. to meet with elected officials or to meet with their staff and then when we go back the next year, they will ask about that person. And if I have to tell them that person has passed because ALS is a really aggressive disease, um, it, it really helps drive the point home of why it's so important. You know, we recognize that, that all politics moves slowly. All, you know, it's, it's a giant machine and everything, everything will hold it up that's possible. But when you can show how it's really affecting people in their state and in their district, it makes such a huge difference. April, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. And and, uh, I hope more people will get out there and and advocate for causes that they believe in because it makes a difference.
Our organization is looking to solicit our vendors we do business with to make a financial commitment to us. Is there a guideline or formula we can use? For example, if the vendor has a large contract with us, shouldn't we ask them for a larger donation? So I I think there's a trend starting with this because I am noticing, at least with some of my clients, I've heard them talking more about going after sort of asking vendors to contribute and make, whether it's a sponsorship or donation. So I definitely think this is something on an uphill, like sort of an upward swing. Um, I, I don't like formulas in general. Like I think formulas are so um, stoic and don't take into account the gray areas. So for me, like you think about there's very so I'm going to use just my my life example. So I am a teeny tiny business, right? Like I'm a teeny tiny business and 100 percent of my clients are people that are in the charitable sector in some <laughs> fashion. OK, uh-huh. so so like I'm. I'm not making huge amounts of money and that's okay. And I'm fine with it. But like at the end of the day, like if you were to say, oh, well, we're given, you know, Stacy and her company like a big contract. And so we should like ask her for a lot of money. Like that's very different for someone like me than it is like a really large, right? Uh, I don't know, local or national law firm or whatever, like something that is just, it's just different. And like, so I think it's not I think a formula doesn't always take into account like what are the kinds of clients that your vendors serve? Mm -hmm. Like how large is their company? Like do they, but here's the thing at the end of the day, I do think vendors, I, I, I think you absolutely should ask vendors to support you. I guess I would take it as a little bit more of an organic approach. Like I would just be like, or if you want to do some research and see if the vendor puts anywhere like that they give a certain amount to charity every year or that do they have a pet charity they give to or a pet nonprofit they give to. And like, you know, you can kind of get some intel and, and maybe see a little bit of, you know, do a little research to figure out what to ask them for. But like, absolutely, vendors should be on the list. I, mm-hmm. I just I don't know if I would make it as structured as a formula yeah and i'm gonna say the g word right gala events oh because that's like the first right that's like the first instinct with a lot of organizations is like we're gonna do a gala event and we're gonna ask everybody that was ever paid a bill to if they want to buy a 12 top for 1500 dollars, and they can see whatever the nonsense is right um so that's and 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 some respond to that golf tournaments, right? Depending on who you're reaching out to, the vendor may be super into golf, right? And they want to do that or they love golf tournaments. But that's kind of the default of like, well, we'll just, you know, we'll we're not selling the mission. We're selling a product, right? It's yeah. not about us. It's about you coming and having a party and then we'll show you a crappy video and you'll eat some rubber chicken <laughs> and you'll by the time you're walking out waiting for your car on the the valet line, you will completely forgotten everything we talked about, right? So so I'm going to put my CSR hat on for just a second. So I, I have clients that are in a similar position to you, right? Where they support a whole bunch of nonprofits, right? And because they support a whole lot of nonprofits, they get a lot of requests from those exact same nonprofits and they they have difficulty. Um, they don't want to just like, they don't have infinite money. They can't give everybody everything that they want, but they also don't want to be like, you're my favorite. I'm going to give exactly. you money and the rest of you aren't going to get any money, right? So what I'm always counseling is like, well, that's a stupid way to look at it to begin with, right? You're not, you don't owe anybody anything. Like these are your clients. You're like, you've got a business relationship with them. You, you believe in their mission. And so, so let's, let's think about what makes the most sense for your business. Like what's important to you? What's important to your employees? How, how are they going to engage with an activity or a, a mission driven activity and not just, I'm going to hand you a check because you're having a party. 
Like, which is not like you're never going to get anybody right. engaged because when you think about it from the nonprofits perspective, and you and I talked about this, we talk about this all the time is a transaction yeah. does not make a long-term donor. The transaction is just a transaction. What makes a long-term donor is, is understanding I'm preaching to the choir, obviously understanding the mission of the organization and feeling a connection with not only their constituents or what they're doing, but wanting them to succeed. And knowing that you've got a hand in helping them succeed by providing what services you can. Like you can either, you know, you give them a discount on whatever thing they're giving you, or you just give them really, really good service because you think they're doing a neat job. Or you talk about that organization with your other clients about like, hey, we're working with this one group and they're doing this really cool thing. Have you heard? I do this all the time, right? Right. So I talk about my other clients and like, as I'm talking to one business client, I'm talking to about nonprofits that I'm aware of, like, hey, you might be interested in what they're doing. And that's the connection that I'm making there, right? I'm not going to write everybody a thousand dollar check. Right. Like I can't, but I can, but I can make connections with other people in the community there that I'm talking to that may be interested in their particular mission. So thinking about it from more of a, like, what does the business want? Yes. Rather from what do you want, right? As a nonprofit, which is, I want money, was I would love to have money. Um, but, but thinking that the business itself, like having them write you a check because they're a vendor is probably, it's that you're asking for a transaction. You're not asking for a relationship. And making, if you can figure out a way to get them to understand what you're doing, you know, you may get, you know, a bunch of individual donors from that company because they understand what you're doing, which is much more than you would have gotten on a one-shot golf tournament ticket. Do you feel like, Andy, do you ever sense in your work in both worlds, right, with with CSR world and nonprofit world, do you ever sense this sort of underlying expectation from a nonprofit like, I am out like paying you this for XYZ service. And I could have chosen a number of people who do the same thing you do. But my ex but my sense is like it's a quid pro quo. Like I'll scratch your back. I've I've hired you and now now you get to donate to my nonprofit. Like I I'm starting to sense that with some organizations and it concerns me because those are two very different, like to me, those there shouldn't be that inherent expectation and yet yeah, I think it depends. Okay, so I think say, it depends. say more about that. So yeah. when so the time that I would find that appropriate is when there's a salesperson involved. So if you're working with somebody who is a, has a salesperson that's assigned to you, that part of that person's compensation is based on you saying yes, and they're willing to do a whole bunch of things to get you to say yes, and and it's it's almost kind of your job to come up with the best negotiation that's going to keep the salesperson interested long enough to get you the best deal. And sometimes that's a discount. Sometimes that's, we're giving you stuff for free. Sometimes it's a sponsorship for something or a volunteer activity that their company is doing, right? So you have to kind of gauge like what your relationship is and, and whether or not like that transaction, whether or not there's a little bit of juice that you can squeeze in that transaction. Because like, I mean, and I hate to, I mean, if you're, Okay, so probably none of these people are listening to the podcast. If you are, um, I apologize. Send me an email and and we can talk about it further. Copier salesmen, copier people, people that provide (laughs) faxes and copiers and postage machines and things like that, like are a different breed. There's clearly lots of competition in this space. And these people are human sharks a lot of times coming in with like, here's the deal I'm going to kill, right? Like I'm going to make so much money on this copier, right? That's the person that is a nonprofit. Like 
that's when you think about your washcloth and you're just going to squeeze every drop yeah, out yeah, of that yeah, because yeah. that person absolutely needs your business. They know that that copier is identical than the other 19 copiers that the other people are going to sell you and they want this long-term relationship and this five-year contract and this complicated lease agreement and all this other stuff. They've got a lot to sell you. And so that's when as a nonprofit, you're like, okay, all right, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's dance. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> right? So so in those situations, I think that's entirely appropriate, right? Yeah. If it's, if it's a sole proprietor, if you're working with a single person or it's like the power company or the electric or the, the gas company or something like that, like don't fleece the gas company right. or gas company, right? <laughs> everybody thinks like the bigger, like MGM, like everybody's going to go after the casino because they're big, right? They've got tons of money, right? And they're like, they're exhausted, right? There's like, they're please like, stop asking no. us, right? Yeah. So if it's something that makes sense for them and you can convince them it makes sense for them, great. But just because they're a big company, um, or, or you're doing business with them because you need electricity. Like maybe that's not the best idea. Well, and it also goes back to, I think this fundamentally goes back to thinking about it from a, so I'm going to switch gears into like a small business owner mindset or a company mindset. Maybe it's larger, like having your CSR strategy thought out also helps some mm-hmm. of this, right? Like, so that when you get that request, or if you have a lot of vendors who happen to be nonprofits and they're all hitting you up, I mean, you can, you can literally say, listen, appreciate it. You know, we've carved out this, this sort of focus area. And so that's where we're putting our energy, but, but appreciate it. And, you know, I mean, they might throw you a bone. Maybe it'll be a small, you know, small something, but or some small discount on something. But at the end of the day, like respecting that some people actually do have giving strategies, giving. So so not just assuming because someone you're paying someone to do a service for you that you're you're going to get money from them. Like there's that's a really faulty assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it doesn't hurt to ask. It doesn't. It and that's it at the end of the day. And we'll leave it at that. Thank you once again for listening to the podcast. And please, if, if anything we talked about today uh, made you wonder if uh, something else, please just go ahead and send us those questions. It's really easy to do that. You can send it to the, you can go to the Nonprofit Everything webpage and send it there. There's a link on the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits website. You can go to the Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter. Any way you can get in touch with us, go ahead and send us those questions because that's how the podcast works. And with that, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm.